69. Nothing personal word of the day. Yes, it is. Today's Friday, April 23rd, 2021. It's my favorite number. Makes me smile. Just thinking about players wearing numbers, choosing numbers. Who's going to take the number when spring training starts? High numbers generally go to players who are just invited to spring training, who probably aren't going to make the team. And then if they make the team, they normally switch to a lower number. There was a whole thing with the Marlins yesterday where Jazz Chisholm, who is, by the way, a superstar on the Marlins with blue hair and a vibrant personality. He is barreling up on the ball. I saw that stat that made me laugh. He's one of the top five guys barreling the ball. Number of which the definition I believe I saw, number of bases per 100 swings. I can't tell you how many teams use that stat. The exact uniform number that the Marlins wouldn't give him. He ended up taking Derek Jeter's number. Uniform number seems to be, they seem to be a big deal. So I wanted the word of the day to reflect the number that only Trent Williams and Aaron Donald should have the right to wear. If you're not the best offensive lineman or the best defensive lineman in all of football, then you shouldn't be able to wear 69. Why is this even a topic on nothing personal leading off? Because our main man, TB12, has some issues. I can't tell. Is he trolling? You know, he got on social media in a, in a very interesting way. I believe his first ever picture on Instagram before he got 97 billion followers, or maybe it was on Twitter before he got 112 trillion followers was, and that's not jealousy, that's just fact, was him walking either in or out of Gillette Stadium. And it caused such a fury in the studio at CBS Sports HQ trying to figure out, is he leaving the Patriots? Is he not leaving the Patriots? This is before he obviously joined the Buccaneers. And it was done in a way that you couldn't tell. Was he walking out? Was he walking in? He was obviously walking out. So Brady has been using his social media to do interesting things, which I really like. And he came out and said, I am very unhappy with the NFL. What's he talking about? The NFL came out and said, we've got new rules for numbers. I didn't know they had rules for numbers. Is that what you're saying to yourself? Well, did you wonder why quarterbacks all sort of have the same number? They're all in the, you know, one to 19 range. And did you wonder why defensive linemen were always in the 80s, in the 90s, wide receivers in the 80s, tight ends in the 80s? There was a method. Offensive linemen, my view is they were always in the 50s and 60s. There was always sort of a method to the madness. And so I was able to tell who's who. And then when the referee takes the mic and says, number 67 is now eligible, because that defines who can line up on the line of scrimmage. Who cares? I'm getting too technical. Anyway, the NFL adopted a new rule, which gave specific numbers that players could wear for specific positions. So offensive linemen can wear between number 50 and 79. Defensive linemen can wear between 50 and 79, but also between 90 and 99. But offensive linemen can't wear between 90 and 99. Linebackers can wear anything from one to 59. Can you imagine a linebacker wearing number two? Or they can wear 90 to 99, which is strange because that normally would be someone on the line. 
But of course, quarterbacks, punchers, and place kickers have to be between one and 19. And don't you kid yourself, defensive backs have to be between one and 49. What? Can you imagine a running back wearing number 82? Well, now he can. Running backs can also wear number one. (sighs) Are you confused? Tom Brady said, it's dumb. And that wasn't a real reason. Why does he think numbers are dumb? Do you know when he got to Tampa, he insisted that Chris Godwin change his number from 12 to 14. Now, I'm sure he paid him. Players like numbers. They're attached to numbers. They give watches, cars, planes, trains, automobiles, anything. Champagne, water, wine. To get the number that they've grown up with, that they're accustomed to, that they like. Did you know the NFL had an interesting rule in place, which they kept, which they did not talk about, which is when a player wants to change his number from one season to the next, the only way to do it is to buy every single piece of existing inventory that all Jersey distributors have. And you think it's not about business. If you wait a year, but you tell everyone you're going to change your number, but you wear your old number for a full year, you can then change your number for free the following year. Why? Because licensees of the NFL and any other sports, they don't want to make a a bunch of Tom Brady 12 jerseys. All of a sudden, everyone walks in and Tom Brady says, by the way, I'm now number 14. And then what do you do with the 12 jerseys? A bunch of players don't want to change their numbers because they think it's wrong to have their fans buy new jerseys. I get it. But that wasn't Tom Brady's reason. He wasn't saying, I'm a man of the people. I value people and their money. I don't want to change number. I don't want anyone to change numbers because I don't want people to have to buy more jerseys. No, I didn't say that. He said it's dumb because it's going to be hard to keep track of who's who and people are going to get hurt. So I spent a lot of time thinking about this last night. I closed my eyes. And I dreamt of what it would be like for Tom Brady's blind side to all of a sudden have somebody attacking him who's wearing number one. An outside linebacker blitzing from the blind side. Here comes number one in the old days. If a number one were blitzing you, you'd be fine. That'd be an illegal player. There's no such thing as a player wearing number one blitzing. It wouldn't be an issue. But now a number one could be a huge linebacker bearing down on TB12, putting his head in the turf. Are you kidding me, Tom? You are, right? I think you have to be. You only tell the players coming at you by their number. That's what you're focused on. I thought that you're focusing on the feel of someone breathing down your neck or let's go with someone not wearing the jersey you're wearing. And here's where Tom and I are in sync. It used to be back in the day when I was a little boy, when you were home, you wore the dark jersey. And when you were on the road, you wore the light jersey. Did you know that folks? Now you don't know who's home, who's away. Everyone's got 29 different alternate jerseys. It's hard to keep track of who's wearing what, what's wearing who. And the only thing that is the rule in Major League Baseball and maybe in football is you can't wear jerseys with the same color. 
So when the home team gets a choice to wear the jersey, the home team has to tell the road team, by the way, on Saturday, we're going to be wearing the black jerseys, so you can't wear your black jerseys. On Sunday, we're in the alternate gray home jerseys, so you have to wear your alternate road jerseys that aren't gray because we can't have umpires thinking that everyone looks the same. And in football, I get it. Did you ever play when you were young shirts and skins? I guess I'm looking back on that. That was totally a sexist thing because you couldn't have girls play if you were playing shirts and skins, or if you did, they'd have to play in the shirts. I was always ashamed to play on the skins. I'd always want to be chosen by the shirts because I was a 94 pound weakling. And I, when you're the last pick on the playground and you look like you weigh 60 pounds soaking wet, you don't want to be skins. But that's one way to tell who to throw the ball to. If everyone's in shirts, how do you know who's on whose team? So Tom Brady is hearkening back to his little middle school days, worrying that he will not know who's on what team. Well, Tom, I think your Instagram post was dumb. I think it's fine for players to get to choose whatever numbers they want. It's not going to change the game. It's not going to make you feel unsafe. I promise you it really won't. It's not even a wait to see, Coca. He's not going to get sacked an extra time because there's an outside linebacker blitzing wearing number three. (sighs) We had a bunch of players who changed jerseys. When uh, Conine came to the Marlins, he was... He had it was his second term with the team, and he wanted to wear number 19 because he always wore number 19, except Lowell was 19, so he just chose number 18. We had players, Josh Beckett changed from 61 to 21, and he did not have to buy all the Beckett 61 jerseys, even though he could have afforded to buy three jerseys. I can't think of an example where number was an issue with any player other than Ichiro. Part of when we were signing Ichiro, he demanded to have his number, and that was no issue for us. He deserved that number. He is 51. There will never be another 51. Did I have the number wrong? Is it possible I'm totally blanking on Ichiro's number? I've been out of the game not even that long, but I'm pretty sure that's his number, and we were fine giving him that. When Pudge signed He wanted number seven. He's always been number seven. I don't think we had a seven. If we did have a seven, we probably just told the person who had seven, forget it. Because remember, the teams that I ran, very few jerseys were being sold anyway. Therefore, we wouldn't have a big deal. You also had no issue with retired numbers. That can be a problem. We had that small Logan Morrison retired number issue, which I've talked about, where we unretired a number to give Logan that number, which we shouldn't have done. Sorry, Lomo, I told you we shouldn't have done it. But in general, our team has no retired numbers. The Yankees, as an example, have a gazillion retired numbers. They have some numbers retired multiple times. When you're new to the Yankees, if you have a number that you are famous for and it's number eight, guess what? You're changing your number once you sign your free agent contract. And the beauty of that, and I used to speak to Randy Levine about this. Did you ever have a player who complained about having to lose a number when they joined the Yankees? (laughs) He'd say, he has this great laugh, the president of the Yankees. With the amount of money we're paying them, if I told them to wear 69, they'd wear it. I always love the chief wearing double zero. It's my favorite number, by the way, double zero. My favorite number is actually five, but in terms of uniform number, double zero. The chief. Word of the day. I get to say it one final time this weekend, unless we have to edit something out, which I don't think we'll have to do because we're going on to the next topic. It's 69.
Alex Smith retired. Do you know who Alex Smith is? NFL comeback player of the year. He was the quarterback who signed a four-year, what was it, Coca? Maybe $94 million deal. Like 71 of it guaranteed. 55 on signing, somewhere around that. It was a huge deal. Great quarterback. He had that injury. There's a documentary about it where he basically almost lost his leg. It was an injury that made Joe Theismann's injury look like a sprained ankle. And he rehabbed. He had surgeries. He worked his butt off and he came back last year and he took snaps. He played games. He actually only got into a game as a starter. As I recall, the Washington football team has a starter named Josh Allen. I, th- I don't know why that's in my head. Maybe that's the guy for the bills, but I think that may be the guy, but he was a player and uh, they had, they had Dwayne Haskins Coca. Don't yell at me on a Friday. They had Dwayne Haskins. We did a whole segment on how bad he was, but Alex Smith did not start after Dwayne Haskins left. There was another quarterback who did after Dwayne Haskins. And then when that quarterback got hurt, that's when Alex Smith got in the game Coca. So I'd like you to apologize right now on the show. Go ahead. Are you willing to? Of course, you're not willing to. So Alex Smith was the third string. He ends up playing and he ends up playing well enough that there was some question whether or not the WFT would want him back. But before the WFT could decide if they wanted him back, wink, wink, Alex Smith retired. End of story, not quite. Alex Smith gave an interview that just came out where he called out a training staff in a way that gave me nightmares of Heath Bell. He called out the Washington football team training staff as if Dan Snyder doesn't have enough surus. That means enough problems. He called out the training staff as saying they were quote unquote patronizing. Making him do things he never had to do before. He mentioned carrying weights and pushing sleds I don't think he needs the kind on snow. When he says sleds, he's talking about those fake tackle dummies, I think, where you rush, push into them and you have to push them back. And there's coaches standing there pretending to stop you from pushing them. And you grunt and you move your feet and you sweat. And then you drink Gatorade and film a commercial. Alex Smith was saying in his career, he never had to do those things. It's almost as though, and here comes the money quote. It's almost as though they didn't want me to make it all the way back. Hmm. Anyone know whether the WFT had some I-N-S-U-R-A-N-C-E that was helping pay the S-A-L-A-R-Y of Alex Smith while he was H-U-R-T? I wonder whether the Washington football team had insurance on their players who were signed to long-term guaranteed deals. And that insurance, like in baseball, when you have insurance on a player, it only pays after the player has missed a season. And then if the player misses time after that, you get the entire salary paid for by the insurance company. But if that player comes back for even a game, and then gets hurt again, you have to start the clock all over again. Are there times at the Marlins when we would want a player to slow down the roll? Slow your roll, sir. Are you sure you're ready? Because if you're not and you come back, 
then we have a major problem if you get hurt again and it's the same injury. If you get hurt again and it's a different injury, we're okay. But if you come back and you're Alex Smith and you play a snap and then you're hurt because your leg is not ready to go and it's a continuation of the same injury, the team has a real problem on its hands because they've got to pay money they didn't expect to pay. So are there teams, GMs, presidents, owners, who say to the training staff and the rehab people and the doctors, you better be exactly sure that this player is 100% ready to play because we're not activating him until he is. How many times do you see your players maybe stay on rehab for an extra week, an extra two weeks, and the player says, I'm ready to go, I'm ready. That is real life manipulation that happens, except it's not done with hatred or malice. It's done with intelligence and financial planning. And it's done in conjunction with your insurance company. It's not like we were trying to defraud the insurance company. We would speak to our insurance company and talk to them throughout the course of rehabilitation, throughout the course of understanding when we were going to get paid on the policy. It's not that I don't like insurance companies, Coca. It's just that they take your premium way faster than they pay your claim. Anyone else notice that? If you don't pay your claim and you miss it by it, if you don't pay your premium and you miss it by a day and then you have a claim and they come back and say, I'm sorry, you didn't have a policy. You didn't pay your premium. Oh, by the way, you have a deductible. Did you know that? Did you know deductible was 100% of the policy? Well, what are you talking about? What's the use of the policy? Well, the use is if someone else gets hurt. Makes me crazy. But we would communicate with the insurance company because we wanted to make sure we got it right. So there are a lot of reasons why Alex Smith would think that the WFT training staff was being patronizing. Some of them may be actually legitimate, except it's the WFT, which by definition means it's not legitimate in any way, under any scenario. I promise you that. I'm sorry, Alex, you deserved better. And I wish you nothing but health in your retirement. And my hope for you is that the next time you interact with a sled, there's snow involved. All right, Coco, we got a pretty serious question we have to talk about. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. It's from the movie Half-Baked. There's so many new people downloading and following nothing personal every day. Thank you for doing that. If you're new, this is a segment we do from the movie Half-Baked, where every character wants to talk to Samson. You get into Twitter at David P. Samson, hit follow, please, and then ask a question, and I'll either answer it directly on Twitter, or I'll put it in the show if it's trending and interesting, or it'll just be too many at a time, and they'll fall to the bottom of the list. I'll forget about them. I'll feel badly, and then I'll see that there's a number that I have to deal with and erase off my phone because I don't like having num any numbers on my phone. You with me? So you want to talk to Samson. Here was the question that I saw yesterday. All my troubles seem so far away. No, that wasn't the question. Why did IOC not change Rule 50 to allow freedom of political expression? Thank you for asking. It's a pretty hot topic right now. Did anyone know the Olympics are happening in Tokyo in three months? Not sure how that's going to work. 
They may not even allow visitors. They may not allow paid attendance. I don't know what they're not going to allow, except they're not allowing any form of expression in Olympic venues. Nothing. What's IOC rule 50? You want to know, don't you? The aim of the International Olympic Committee, rule number 50, is to ensure that each and every athlete can experience the Olympic Games without any divisive disruption. It's in place to keep the field of play, the Olympic Village, and the podium neutral and free from any form of demonstrations. It goes on to outline all the opportunities you have to express your views at the Olympic Games. Why is this an issue? Because what's going on in the world right now is players don't want to shut up and dribble. Athletes don't want to shut up and dribble. They want to make statements. Something that can cost you money like Simone Biles leaving Nike and signing a shoe company with a much smaller company that tends to, in her mind, increase her social presence. And I don't mean social media. It will help her with her interaction with people and explaining to people what position she has on different social issues. I give her a ton of credit. Athletes these days want to talk about what they feel, how they feel. The IOC's point of view is the only people doing the talking are those who feel they are being persecuted or are being shown prejudice. Uh, That's true. So then who's the IOC protecting with this rule? Hmm. Is the IOC protecting racist people, white supremacists? Or are they just saying that we're not gonna allow white supremacists or racists to express that? And if we're not gonna allow them to express it, then we can't allow people to express Black Lives Matter as an example. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Is that a good policy? Let's think about that in our country. There are people who think Black Lives Matter is some sort of organization that is racist. They're not understanding the point. There's people who think if they don't have the right to say that all lives matter or blue lives matter or pink lives matter or gray lives matter, that then they are being prejudiced against them. I've got a slightly different take here that I just would like you, I just would like you to consider. Why wouldn't we allow for all forms of freedom of expression? The hardest forms of expression are the ones that make your blood boil, right? The hardest forms of expression are ones that when they're said, not only do they anger you, but you're willing to engage in a debate to explain to the person why their point of view is so wrong. You would spend your whole life, actually. Some people do spend their whole life trying to explain to people that what they're free to express and what they believe is something that is so wrong. In this day and age, some people believe that the only freedom of expression is if you are expressing the fact that you've been persecuted or the fact that you've been prejudiced, shown prejudice, 
that if you express any sort of hate, any sort of racism, that you have to be not just canceled, but you lose that right. You know where I am on the political spectrum, but I want you to consider, doesn't it make it better when people can't hide? Doesn't it make it better that you know who lives next door and that you can choose to either try to teach them, educate them and help them or ignore them altogether. But if they cross the line into your property or they stop you from living the life you can live, if they stop you from performing in the sport you want to perform in, if they stop you from competing in the Olympics because of their views, that's not allowed. The decision made by the IOC is making everyone angry and it's making them angry because they're not allowed to say black lives matter on athlete apparel, but they can say peace, respect, solidarity, inclusion, equality. They can say those words. Germany of all places has come out and said, we will defend our Federation of Athletes if they want to come out and say that they're Nazis and they get in trouble. Or they want to say that Black Lives Matter or that they love Jewish people and they get in trouble, they'll defend them. The American Olympic Committee, which I think is not called that, Coca. I think it's called the USOC, but there's no chance I'm right, but it's somewhat in my head. I can't believe I can't remember it, Coca. It's Friday. Coca's gone. I knew it. We're 25 minutes into a show. We got 20 minutes left of the week. And Coca is A-W-O-L. Normal. It's fine. See you later. We totally need you, though. So the USO, what is the USOPC, Coca? Now you're telling me it's called the USOPC? The United States Olympic Player Committee? Ah, thank you, Coca. The United States Olympic, I can't hear you. The United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. So the USO and PC, they've come out very against the IOC. Players have come out against what they didn't do for Rule 50, the changes they didn't make. Gwen Barry, you know that player, the 2016 Olympian, she's uh, a hopeful in the hammer throw. She did an interview where she said that she felt as though the IOC has made a big mistake. The IOC said that it canvassed athletes and athletes had said that they would prefer the Olympics to be less political and more competitive. Of course, the Olympics have always been political. They will be political. That's what happens when the East German judge gives you a 2.4. That means it's political. That's what happens when we have our entire well-being and our sense of pride and patriotism based on a medal count. She thought the IOC 10-month review was gaslighting and tokenism at best, insufficient, ridiculous, empty, for show, eyewash, criticizing the survey, saying the survey was only asked of privileged athletes. Her point is underprivileged people need their voices to be heard. Minorities need their voices to be heard. She said... The survey gave, and this is what I need you to hear me before you start adding me with your anger about my point here. 
Listen to what she said and tell me if you agree. The survey she said, survey says, it gave equal weight to the voices of athletes to whom this topic is relatively unimportant and to athletes to whom it matters deeply. Everybody take a breath. When you are doing a survey, is it a fair survey? Let me give you a survey right now, okay? It's a survey for people choosing between peanuts and cashews. That's the survey I wanna take. Which do you like better, peanuts or cashews? So I'm surveying people and someone says, I don't like either. Is that not an answer to the survey? It's a survey, I ask someone and they say, I'm allergic to peanuts, I don't eat either. Doesn't that count as an answer to a survey? They may not care the difference between peanuts and cashews, but if they're part of the 100 people surveyed, out of 100 people surveyed, 2% are allergic, 5% don't like either, 30% like cashews, and the remainder, because I lost track of what numbers I chose, like peanuts. If you take a survey where you know that the only people you are surveying, let me give you an example. How many of you were surprised in 2016 when the polls were wrong and Trump won because Clinton was ahead? How many of you were surprised when Trump said the polls show he's winning in 2020 and Biden won? How many of you say that polls don't really matter? Why do you say it? Just curious. Show of hands. Do you say polls don't matter? Because when you survey 100 Democrats and ask them who they're voting for, and then Biden's winning 98 to two, does that mean that you think Biden's gonna win 98% of the vote? Or do you say, well, that survey doesn't mean too much because 98% of the people were voting for Biden. That's why you have to look to see who's being surveyed. In the Olympic institution, they surveyed in their theory, a cross section of all athletes. Is it possible that some athletes do not view putting political expression on their jersey as something that matters? But does that mean that they don't care about racism or bias or prejudice? Did you say that about LeBron James when he put James on the back of his jersey and not Black Lives Matter? When he chose to not take advantage of the possibility of putting some statement on his shirt? Does that mean that everyone who surveyed in the Olympics said that they don't want to have any form of expression of political views in the Olympic village or on the podium? Does that mean they don't care by definition? Worse, does that mean they're racist? We all have to be better here. I completely understand the frustration that certain athletes are feeling who felt that they are underrepresented, underserved, and ignored. Of course I do. But you have to understand when you're running an organization, the International Olympic Committee, you don't answer to just the USOPC. You don't answer to just the German Federation. You don't answer to just the Soviet Union, Russia, Amsterdam, Jamaica. Bahamas, you answer to everybody. It's so easy to criticize decisions of owners and presidents and GMs and chairmen and people in charge. We make a show out of criticizing what they say and how they say it, what they do when they could do better. 
but we always keep in mind the golden rule of leaders. You are never going to be right 100% of the time. Got that, Coca? You are never going to be right 100% of the time when you are in the position to make decisions as a leader. Never. When we come back, we are doing Oscar predictions. It's Oscar Sunday. The red carpet's out. I've got my tuxedo ready. No, I don't. I've got my sweatshirt ready. I've got my ballot ready. Yes, I do. And we're also going to talk about the fact that I'm sick and tired of the extra inning rule. I'm sick and tired of losing picks of the day in extra innings. We will be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. What's your name? Thank you so much for getting through the gauntlet of ads and for staying with us as the way you do. I really do appreciate you. It's been a it's been a uh, a week of reflection, and I appreciate the fact that on Sunday the majority of you are not going to watch the Oscars. But guess what? My name's on the show. Nothing personal with David Sampson, produced by Matthew Coca. Exclusively produced by Matthew Coca, by the way. Got that, Coca? Don't you worry. Don't worry. Be happy. So every year I do an Oscar pool. You know I watch a movie every single day. I wanted to go through some Oscar predictions with you. For those of you saying you don't like the Oscar-nominated movies, stop being haters. Just got a review from Mike Ryan of the Levitard show of Nomadland. Coca told me that I don't think he'll even watch Nomadland, or if he watched it, he couldn't bear the boringness, the boring nature of it. Do you understand that not all movies can be Godzilla v. King Coca? Not all movies can be or should be John Wick. Sometimes movies are there to make you feel something or learn something or understand something. Let's start. Judas and the Black Messiah. Maybe you'll see that, Coca. Coca wants me to, he wants to be in the show. Coca, if you want to be in the show, get a microphone and say what you want to say. He wants me to tell our audience that the Oscar movies make him feel like never watching shit movies again. Okay, I said it. Now you got to put explicit on the pod because you made me say shit again. Best supporting actor, Daniel Kaluuya in Judas and the Black Messiah. It's a slam dunk. He's won every award. He should have won every award. He is competing against his teammate in the movie, the FBI informant, who is also 
uh, in Get Out. His name is something Stanfield, but I'm blanking because Daniel Kaluuya is the one who's going to win Best Supporting Actor. Book it. What about Ya, ya Jung Yoon? Ya Young Yoon. <laughs> Sorry, Coca. Coca gave five minutes to me before the show. He said, "One, if you can do one thing right today, if you're going to choose the grandmother Minari to win Best Supporting Actress and you love the movie Minari, at least make sure you say her name right. Ya Young Yoon is her name. She plays the grandmother. It is a very complicated category because there are many people who want to give the award to Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, even though she doesn't deserve the award, but she's the most decorated nominee who's never won an award. She's 74 years old, I think. She's still got great roles in front of her. She should have won for The Wife, in my opinion. I want to say Olivia Coleman beat her out for The Favorite, which was a great performance, but Glenn Close and The Wife was phenomenal. Hillbilly Elegy will not get it done for her. I wanted Amanda Seyfried to win the Oscar for Mank, but it's going to end up being, and it should be, because God, Minari was good. Ya Young Yoon. I saw every single documentary feature, every single one. Did you? They're that good. I reviewed every single one, I believe. Do you remember my review of My Octopus Teacher when I asked you to please see it? Of all the movies this year, please see My Octopus Teacher. It is the best movie I saw all year. Emotional, perfect. It will win Best Documentary Feature. Let's go to Best Actress. We have a problem here. Viola Davis is favored to win for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Chadwick Boseman is favored to win Best Actor for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I did not like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I thought it was okay. I thought Viola Davis's performance was good. I thought Chadwick Boseman's performance was good. If Chadwick Boseman had not tragically passed away this year, Chadwick Boseman would not win Best Actor, period. Riz Ahmed or Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal would win. Riz Ahmed was better than Anthony Hopkins, though Anthony Hopkins was so good in The Father that you should watch it. And if you have a hard time watching it, it's just because you're not willing to face life and the realities of life and getting older. Sound of Metal is a movie, bonus category, best sound, Sound of Metal, slam dunk. But if you don't watch Sound of Metal, I'm sorry, then I don't know what to tell you. But the winner of Best Actor for your pool is Chadwick Boseman. The winner of Best Actor should be Riz Ahmed. The winner of Best Actress in your pool should be Viola Davis. The winner of Best Actress should be Andra Day. And I'm picking Andra Day in an upset here, actually. The Legend of Billie Holiday, her performance in The Legend of Billie Holiday, and I did not know much about Billie Holiday before, but I certainly know about it now and about her now and about that story. Her performance was inspiring, electric, scary, insightful, dramatic. Didn't make me think about it. Do you know that that, when we reviewed it, we told you this. Do you remember that it, this is Andre Day's first major film role? First major film role. You know who else had the first major film role in the best live short? I can't remember the name, Coca. Help me, help me, Rhonda, help me, help me. From Two Distinct Strangers, which is gonna win the Oscar. And it's got, he's a, uh, a rapper. I wanna say it's Jimmy Badass, but it's not. It's Joey Badass. That's a bonus category for you that you'll get that'll help you win your pool. Two Distinct Strangers should win that Oscar. So Andre Day and Chadwick Boseman, actress, actor. Now we get to the two big awards of the night, best director, best picture. I'm going for a sweep. Chloe Zhao 
is going to win Best Director and Nomadland is going to win Best Picture. I'm sorry, Michael Ryan Ruiz. I'm sorry, Matthew Coca, CBS. Nomadland is going to win Best Picture and Best Director. The Best Picture race, Promising Young Woman should be in it. It was a great, great movie. Trial of Chicago 7, we've reviewed. Great screenplay by Aaron Sorkin. Don't think it'll win Best Screenplay, but you should see it. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, important. One Night in Miami, see that awesome. You know what? All of these nominated movies are good, but Nomadland takes home Best Picture. I loved Minari. Could Minari upset it? It could. I'm still going Nomadland. Those are my picks, but they're not the nothing personal pick of the day. The nothing personal pick of the day is pissing me off right now. That's not a nice word to say. I'm upset. I watch a lot of baseball. I watch a lot of basketball. I understand the concept of the B squared. I get it. I really do. B squared, for those of you not inclined to ever wager, is called a bad beat. A bad beat is when a team is favored by 12. They're up by 13. They miss a shot at the end of the game. The other team gets the ball, throws a half-court shot and scores, and then loses by 10, and then therefore covers, and you were covering, then you weren't covering. The majority of times you lose on a bad beat, not win, because it's not called a bad beat if you win. The Red Sox lost to the Mariners in 10 innings, and it bothered me. The Dodgers lost to the Padres, three to two. We went 0-2 yesterday. We're not hot right now. We are 52-36. and 36. 16 games over is not bubkiss, but it's not enough. I'm giving you a weekend's worth of picks. Because you have to watch sports as you prepare for the Oscars, as you shower, shave, put on nice clothes, maybe barbecue, fill out some pools, take some photos. Great game tonight that I can't wait to watch. Do you know how good Steven Matz has been pitching for the Toronto Blue Jays, who are a team that Mark Shapiro, the president of baseball operations, said he wants to be a behemoth. Well, Mark, to be a behemoth, you got to raise your payroll, and you can't take the Mets scraps, even though Steven Matz is pitching so well for you. You've got to do more. Oh, yes, you did sign George Springer. Yes, you signed Ryu, the best pitcher of the year before. But you got to raise your payroll. That's what a behemoth is. Mats is playing Glasnow. Glasnow, who's one of the best pitchers in baseball, playing for the Rays. The Rays and Blue Jays are a rivalry in the AL East with the surprising Red Sox that they finally won a game Yankees. I can't wait to watch it. Don't snooze on those Blue Jays. I think the Matzers should be dogs in this game. I am taking Steven Matz over Tyler Glasnow, Blue Jays over the Rays. It's a great game to watch tonight. Tomorrow night, you know what I'm doing? We are New York. We are the New York Knicks. We're going to play some ball. Knicks' hottest team in sports right now. Maybe the A's are. Hottest team in basketball. They're playing the Raptors. The Knicks are back, baby. The Knicks will cover versus the Raptors. The Knicks are going to win again. Look out, everybody. Look out. Patrick Ewing is back. God, did I miss the Knicks. Knicks over the Raptors. Baseball game tomorrow night. I also have to watch. I'm going to watch one on MLB TV on my phone, one on the TV. It is Justin Bieber against Garrett Cole. What a game of aces. You never bet against Garrett Cole. 
but the Yankees offense has been brutal. Notwithstanding the fact they scored six runs after being down three, nothing to Cleveland last night. That said, I'm taking Bieber over Cole. I just, I'm a believer. I'm, what is it called, Coca? A believer? I'm a believer. Indians over Yankees. It's the game of the weekend. Sunday. How wrong was I about Patrick Corbin? I have a wait to see that says he's going to be out of the rotation. He pitched six shutties in his last start. And I assure you that he's going to have two good starts in a row. The Nats are playing the Mets. The Mets are going with Walker. The Mets just got swept by the Cubs. I may have been wrong about Corbin, but I need a win and a pick. So I'm taking Corbin to have another good start over Walker. Those are the picks to review. Blue Jays over the Rays on Friday. Saturday, Knicks covering versus the Raptors. The Indians over the Yankees. And then on Sunday, the Nats over the Mets. The wait to see I got wrong yesterday. I didn't think that Glaber Torres would play. I'm completely shocked that the Yankees played him. He ended up getting three hits. That doesn't make it right. The Yankees ended up winning the game six to three. That doesn't make it right. But I told you when I do a wait to see and I'm wrong, I'm going to tell you I'm wrong. I thought Glaber Torres would not be in the starting lineup. And he was. I was wrong. We just got word this morning of a horrific accident. I want to send out all of my condolences to the family of Terrence Clark. Terrence Clark is a 19-year-old, played for the University of Kentucky, died in a horrific car accident just yesterday. He had played for Kentucky, and ironically, he had just signed with an agent. He had just declared for the NBA draft. He had his dream set on being a first-round draft pick in this year's NBA draft. And just like that, his entire life ended. Please, everyone, carpe diem, seize the day, sagupin ang ara. Don't wait for tomorrow. Seize this day. It has been a week, folks. This week has shown you the best and the worst that sports has to offer on and off the field. I want to thank you again so much for being a part of the show, for being with us every step of the way. Please have a great, safe weekend. We'll see you Monday. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.